Welcome to the Holistically Healthy Podcast, where I, Sedona Treganing, nutritional therapy practitioner and NASM certified trainer, bust health myths and teach you how to become the healthiest, most confident version of you. Hey guys, welcome back to the Holistically Healthy Podcast. Uh, today we're going to be going over part two of 23 things I learned before turning 23. If you didn't hear the last one, basically this is more focused on health. Of course, there's a lot of things you learned from the year one to 23, like learning how to use a fork and a knife and everything, but we're not gonna be going over those things. It'll just be primarily health-related, especially mental health and digestive health. And I try to pick things that I think you guys will find really interesting and things that you can't just Google, that you actually have to dig a little bit for because I wanna simplify you know, the process of getting all of this information because I wish that I knew this a couple of years ago when I started my health journey. All right, so let's get back into it. We left off with number 12 last time. Number 13 is going to be uh, something really, really interesting that I'm sure your doctor never told you. And that is that SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth has been shown to exist in up to 84% of IBS patients. So what does this mean? That means that Okay, IBS is like this umbrella term very similar to PCOS where it is just a combination of symptoms like, for example, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, burping, gas. All those things can contribute to that IBS diagnosis by your doctor if you're hitting those certain symptoms. A lot of times, though, we're just like, oh, I just have IBS. But it's like, no, IBS isn't a specific condition. You're just meeting that criteria. In reality, when we think that, okay, I'm stuck with it forever... No, because SIBO is actually something that you can fix and there's treatment for SIBO. Now, granted, a lot of people don't treat SIBO correctly and they give people antibiotics and never attack the root cause of what's going on. But SIBO is something that you can fix. So when we think of it that way, I mean, there's 84% of IBS patients that think that, oh, I just have IBS when in reality it is SIBO and it's something that they could have fixed. And if you're wondering, how do I get tested for this? I think we have a couple of podcast episodes on this, but just as a reminder, you could do a breath test and that's actually something that's typically covered through your insurance. Or you could do something like a GI map where it's not specifically testing for SIBO, but based on your results, it can indicate that you do have SIBO and that it can be treated accordingly. Okay, so that's number 13. I thought that one was really cool, really interesting, and I wish that I had known that years ago because then I would have saved myself a lot of time and money trying to figure out why I had IBS and how I can go about navigating that. So number 14 is that fasting is phenomenal. Um, unless you have like a medical condition or you deal with a lot of, I'm trying to think, uh, maybe hypoglycemia, maybe you're in a, a state right now where you're dealing with hypoglycemia or your doctor told you not to fast, to have frequent meals. Granted, your doctor could be wrong. I have a hard time trusting doctors, but listen to your doctor's advice or at least ask them questions about it. But for those of you that don't have an underlying condition that would prevent them from fasting, I highly recommend fasting because we live in this world where a lot of us are eating from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed and we're only giving ourselves seven, eight, maybe nine hours of fasting. When we think about our ancestors, we had days of fasting. And so our body had developed on having these periods of fasting. For example, one of the mechanisms that we have in our digestion is our migrating motor complex. And what that does is after 90 minutes of fasting, 
it sweeps through leftover bacteria and helps to move bowel movements along. Uh, not only is there an issue with not having a long period of fasting, but we're also always snacking. In reality, what I have come to believe in through my nutritional therapy practitioner certification and through my mentors and just doing coaching for like over three years, specifically health coaching, is that it's good to eliminate a lot of snacking and then also to give yourself a couple days where you can do some intermittent fasting. It doesn't have to be every single day, especially if you're like, oh, what do I do? Like I'm training. I feel like I need to eat beforehand. Yeah, you probably should eat beforehand. So I get that this is not always ideal for most people. But even if it's a couple days a week, I recommend doing a 16 to 17 hour fast or even going into like a 24 hour fast if you wanted to try that. And this is a water fast. So this is you are fasting from everything except for water or some herbal teas. And so what this will do is it will help with cell death, so autophagy, so killing off those cells that are no longer active, basically, like those dead cells. So that's supporting the immune system. And then also that'll help reset insulin sensitivity. If you notice that you're struggling with blood sugar, maybe you take your fasting glucose in the morning and it is at a pre-diabetic level and you're already doing, quote unquote, all the right things with your nutrition, you know, you're not eating a whole lot of sugar, keeping stress low, etc., and you're still struggling with blood sugar, fasting can be very, very helpful. And I will say to the females that are listening to this, you just want to be mindful of, okay, if I'm approaching my period, maybe I don't want to fast up close to my period just because your progesterone that was going to help trigger ovulation and then also help to trigger that healthy menstrual cycle. And so there is an inverse relationship between cortisol and progesterone where, yeah, if you are fasting, that can perhaps raise cortisol and then progesterone is not going to like that. So progesterone is going to be lower. Those are just things that you want to keep in mind. So I would say, you know, intermittent fasting during the follicular phase, all for that. And then you just want to be more, more mindful during that luteal phase, that second half of your menstrual cycle. Okay, now number 15 is that nature is a foundation of health. When I was going through my nutritional therapy practitioner course, they did not include nature as a foundation of health. They have six foundations. Nature was not one of them. In my opinion, though, I do believe that being out in nature should be a pillar of health, a foundation, because we see that inflammation dramatically decreases when we're grounding. So when we're like barefoot in the grass outside, we also see that the sunlight outside, so not necessarily through a window, but being outside helps to set our circadian rhythm. So that's going to help set our sleep and wake cycle. And we also see a huge reduction in anxiety and depression. There are so many great things that come from being out in nature. I personally cannot even imagine being in a city. I don't know how people deal with that because I really do believe that everyone should be getting out in nature, even if it's 30 minutes every single week out in the woods definitely make that a priority. You'll notice better sleep, better stress management, less inflammation. Okay, so this kind of goes somewhat hand in hand with that. But number 16 is that anxiety can be well managed when you start to realize that anxiety is when you're stuck in the past or the future. And what matters now is being in the present. Think about the last time that you felt anxious. When you are feeling anxious, think about why. Maybe that was okay, I'm getting anxious because I'm stuck in traffic. It's not that the traffic is the issue. It's the fact that you're thinking about how the traffic is going to make you late. So that's a small example. But let's also say, okay, let's say that you have relationship anxiety. Let's say that you're nervous that your current partner is going to cheat. 
okay, well, it's one thing if like you have signs that they are cheating. It's another if you have had a past experience of your past partner cheating on you and now you're bringing that into the future. Something that has been really helpful for someone like me who had been diagnosed with like anxiety disorder and I had taken medication before and now I no longer struggle, at least most of the time, is uh, is just always coming back to the present. So whenever you find yourself getting worked up, just bring yourself back to your senses, come back to the present. Okay, number 17 is that there are such things as quote-unquote good and quote-unquote bad foods. So this one's like more controversial and I don't like I don't like calling them as good or bad, but there are foods that, I mean, there's research that shows they're not good for your health. They're bad for your health. So (laughs) when we think of it that way, technically there are good and bad foods. And I think people that are saying, hey, there's no such thing as good and bad foods are doing some people a disservice, especially people who have symptoms and they're not understanding why they have symptoms. For example, hives um, or for example, bloating. You know, it's because we are so gentle with people, I find, as a society. And I hate generalizing, but as a society, I find a lot of times that we're so gentle with people, which is great, and we want to be accepting of all people, and we want to make people feel comfortable. But sometimes it comes at a cost. And one of those is, yeah, some people don't understand that there are some foods that are not going to be great for their digestion um, or for their health in general. When you're thinking of, okay, should I eat this food? Always think that, yes, there's always going to be a consequence to what you put in your mouth. I mean, when we think about it, we can't go without food. We can't go without water, especially water. So when we're thinking of, okay, this is the fuel for our bodies, for your gas, for your car, would you put shit gas in it and then expect it to work fine? Probably not. Like, you know that there's going to be a consequence. So it's the same thing with food. Okay, I'm thinking about, let me start my day with this donut. Now, a lot of society would be like, yeah, have a donut. You deserve it. But then again, if you have that donut, now you're setting yourself up for a day of low energy and anxiety because your blood sugar is going to be all over the place. You're going to be riding the blood sugar roller coaster. So yeah, you probably shouldn't have the donut if you want to feel good. Anyways, I could go on and on forever about it, but just know that there are consequences, good or bad, with foods that you eat. Number 18 is going to be that night shifts are one of the worst things that you can do for yourself. Before I say this, like I hate the fear mongering and I feel bad, you know, kind of feel bad that I did that with food um, on my last point. But when I say that night shifts are one of the worst things that you can do for yourself, it's because when we go back to the circadian rhythm and that's your body's internal clock, when you are not exposed to sunlight, especially outdoors, your hormones are all out of whack. You're going to be more irritable. Your blood sugar is going to be dysregulated. You're going to be on that more of that roller coaster. You're not producing melatonin, which is an antioxidant, or maybe you are, but you're not producing a lot of it. And so our bodies are not meant to always be not only on night shift, but switching between a day shift and a night shift. Because also we think about sleep and we have different sleep cycles, different waves of sleep. And so our body gets accustomed to the times that we fall asleep and and wake up. And that's why sometimes if you oversleep, you could feel groggy and you're like, wow, the more I sleep, the more groggy I am. It's not usually that. It's just that you're not used to sleeping that much and your sleep cycle is off. So that's where night shift, if you can avoid it, definitely avoid it. Now, obviously, some people, you know, you don't really have a choice or maybe you're um, working on getting out of that scenario because everyone has a choice. But as you're working on getting out of that 
scenario and and changing jobs and getting something that supports your health better, you know, just try and do the best you can and, you know, take melatonin as a supplement as needed to get yourself to bed. Try and not flop sleep schedules. Try and stick to the night shift and yeah, just hang in there. But try and get out of that because if you're noticing acne, stress, etc., it's probably because of the night shifts. So number 19, and I'm going to try and not make these next ones too long, but uh, number 19 is that ADHD is made worse from food eyes is sugar. So I am no psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I do know that ADHD can be made worse from things like red and yellow food dyes and then also sugar. So and we think about that too, when your blood sugar is always elevated, it comes with some brain fog, can lead to gut issues, a lot of sugar, a lot of fructose, gut permeability, that can also cause some brain fog. So just be aware, like if you are a parent listening to this with a kid or you struggle with ADHD, sugar is not your friend at all. And also food dyes. So you want to make sure that you're eating whole foods and that switch alone will help with your ADHD. Number 20, your makeup could be causing hormone imbalances. The next couple of topics are going to be more on hormones, but the reason why I say this is because of endocrine disruptors. Some makeup is full of chemicals and endocrine disruptors. And I mean, we think about our skin, which is an organ. Would you smear your makeup on your kidney? Probably not. And so our skin is an organ. And so we're smearing makeup on it, or some of us are smearing makeup on our skin every single day. And that makeup goes into our body. We have pores in our skin. So every single day, I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen the the ingredients on your makeup products, but a lot of the time there's a lot of toxins in there. And so they're getting into our system. And so that can definitely impact your skin and also disrupt your hormones. I've seen a lot of people have hormonal issues and they're also the people that wear perfumes every single day that are super toxic and light candles and wear makeup every day and never wash it off. Like Those are the type of people that are going to be more prone to having these hormonal imbalances. So be mindful of your makeup. Also, a good resource is ewg.org. You can do their skin deep. Uh, They have like a little thing that you can search for your makeup products and see, is it carcinogenic? Is there endocrine disrupting properties? What is in my makeup? And then they can give you better alternatives to it. And then 21. So birth control doesn't balance your hormones. So I've heard this a couple times and that's why I wanted to say it. But uh, a lot of times the doctor will tell you, hey, let's push you on the birth control pill because it's going to balance your hormones. That is a lie because the birth control pill is creating a negative feedback loop. So it is not balancing your hormones. What it's doing is it's giving you synthetic hormones. And so that is telling your body, hey, we don't need to produce as much of this hormone And so it's actually shutting off your production or lessening that production. Don't believe your doctor when they tell you that you're balancing things because that will allow you to think like, okay, birth control, I can be on this forever. It's just helping me balance. It's helping me be healthier. But it's not because, again, it's not your hormones. And then we also know that birth control comes with like risks of intestinal permeability, blood clotting, development of uh, autoimmune diseases or triggers for autoimmune diseases. I wanted to clarify that. And then number 22, estrogen-driven cancer isn't just estrogen-driven. When I say this, there is breast cancer, endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, all of these things 
rely on estrogen to develop and grow. And the treatment for this is usually, okay, treatments to stop your body from making estrogen. What's interesting with this is that it's not necessarily estrogen itself. If you look up actually Dutch test estrogen, it shows a chart of how estrogen is metabolized, what pathways it goes down. So there is different types of estrogen. There's estradiol, estrione, estriol. And there's different pathways that it gets metabolized. Now, one of these pathways is carcinogenic. So actually, I just had a client who has cancer. It just got diagnosed with cancer and she got a, a Dutch test. And what did we see? It's not that her estrogen was high. It was that she was metabolizing through that carcinogenic pathway, that 4-OH pathway. So the thing is, is when they give you these medications, they are blocking estrogen, but estrogen has so many great benefits to it. For example, like bone density. When you are trying to prevent cancer, let's say that you have a family history of cancer, it's really like, okay, how do I get rid of environmental toxins like pollutants or how do I switch from plastic to stainless steel or glass so that I can make sure that my estrogen is healthy and it's getting detoxed properly or metabolized properly? Also, like making sure your digestion is in a good spot so you're not recirculating that estrogen. So it's not like all of a sudden, oh, shoot, I just have cancer, estrogen-driven cancer. It's like, what is causing this? There's something causing it. And those things can be prevented, which is so crazy to me because there's so many modalities for preventing cancer. For example, like fasting actually is one of them um, because it's, it's uh, clearing out those dead cells and strengthening the immune system. There are so many different modalities that you probably have never heard of. And if you want more information on this, you can always reach out to my Instagram, Sedona underscore T, but there's a lot of good information. So don't think that, you know, if your family has a history of cancer or anything, there's nothing you can do about it. Because I know for me, I was like, oh my gosh, uh, my family, someone had cancer, someone had type 2 diabetes, you know, I'm stuck like this. I, I might just wake up one day and have these diseases. That's not the case. There has to be something that sets off those genetics. Hopefully that makes you feel better. And then 23 is what you eat impacts your skin health. When I'm talking about this, I'm talking about actually like skin cancer and protecting yourself from the sun. But also, obviously, your food impacts your like acne, like with zinc, vitamin A, etc. But something interesting that I learned more recently is that, you know, antioxidant rich foods can offer UV protection. So things um, high in antioxidants like tomatoes, sweet potatoes, almonds, salmon, grapes, these foods can help protect you from the UV, the UV rays. So yeah, you know, staying out of the sun is important and wearing sunscreen is important, but, and also genetics, but sometimes you'll notice people, let's say siblings, you know, they will be out in the sun at the same time and then one gets burnt and one doesn't. That could be a variety of different factors, but one of those things could be that that person has more antioxidant-rich foods in their diet, which I thought was pretty cool. So that is it for these, this little two-part series. Hopefully, you learn some things from this, uh, especially like, you know, the cancer one I thought was really interesting. But yeah, so I hope you guys enjoy it again, and I will see you on the next one. Thanks again for listening to the Holistically Healthy Podcast. If you enjoyed, make sure to leave a review as I will be picking one of you to win a free consultation with me every quarter. If you want more information or immediate help, head to www.wholenothingback.net and apply for coaching.